everybody. Uh, happy Friday. Happy Juneteenth. And thank you for checking out uh, this conversation. Welcome to those that are checking us out live on Facebook and those are following us after the fact. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, today, I have an uh, opportunity to have a conversation uh, with two uh, amazing people that live here uh, in Pittsburgh and do a lot of really cool work. Excited to have this opportunity to dig uh, deeper into what they do um, and also bring uh, attention to a lot of great activity that's happening in our region, uh, resources, think thoughts on community, uh, and things like that. Uh, my name is Josiah Gilliam. I work for the city of Pittsburgh in the mayor's office, and I run the My Brother's Keeper Initiative, which is black, and men, black men and boys focused, uh, but it's collective impact. And a lot of what we try to do is highlight work that happens in the community uh, and participate in community weaving functions. Um, doing that work in a place like Pittsburgh means that you're often finding out about cool stuff, and you just have to point to it. That's about as uh, simple as it gets to be. Uh, and I think that'll be become very clear as you get to know uh, the two guests that we have uh, today. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to let them introduce themselves and then get right into uh, the conversation, starting with Ms. Camille. Okay, so I am Camille Scantling, founder of Cocopreneur PGH LLC, a black business consultancy and advocacy business. Uh, the work that I do is mostly centered around the Black Business Directory called the Cocopreneur Directory that features Black-owned businesses in the greater Pittsburgh area. Um, I, I think that kind of sums it up. Thank you very much. Uh, and Ms. Sam? Uh, my name is Samantha Black. I'm the CEO of Silo PGH, um, and I work around our arts, culture, socioeconomics, making sure that uh, Black people in Pittsburgh uh, specifically black artists and uh, creatives entrepreneurs have the um, the spaces in which to expand maintain or uh, create wonderful so um, we're gonna have a chance to dig into the work that you each do and its history uh, but today's special uh, today is not just Friday uh, but it's also Juneteenth and it's a special moment uh, to recognize and acknowledge history and certainly I don't know about YouTube but I've been seeing a lot of folks sharing out information about this. There seems to be an awakening around, awakening around what this holiday means um, and what it's about. Uh, so Camille, if you wouldn't mind, could you just speak to the history of Juneteenth and its significance uh, as a day and as a holiday? Yeah, so uh, Juneteenth is basically the combination of June and 19th, which is the day in 1865 when uh, folks in Galveston, Texas, were actually brought the news and the enforcement that slavery was ending and all enslaved people were to be free. Um, this is actually two years, two and a half years, after Emancipation Proclamation was actually signed. So this was um, a huge slap in the face to the actual uh, inaction of enforcing the Emancipation Proclamation. So in January, of 1863 when the Emancipation Proclamation was actually signed by Abraham Lincoln. The Civil War was still going on and while it was a declaration to free all enslaved people in Confederate states because the war was still going on, many people took their time to actually free their enslaved folks. Uh, so not only was it Galveston, Texas, but just across the South in the Confederacy people took their time actually freeing enslaved people. Uh, so this is actually something that you kind of see going forward even to today. While there might be you know, laws on the books or common practices, some Americans do what they want because they can. Um, with Juneteenth, the way it is celebrated, it started in Galveston, Texas, because that was kind of the final act of emancipation. 
Um, it started there and kind of branched out. It started to get more popular in the 1950s and 60s during the civil rights movement, when people started to look for more ways to express their black pride. Uh, Juneteenth became a lot more popular then. So we see that happening again around the late 80s, when again, people are starting to kind of find this empowerment in their blackness. We see it happening again now. And it just seems like every time something tragic happens to us, we have to find ways to promote our blackness and to care and love ourselves the way we should. So Juneteenth is this celebration of our history. It's a celebration of our culture. It's a celebration of our endurance being here in uh, America where we are oftentimes uh, mistreated. So that is the history of Juneteenth. It's very dark, but still celebratory because we're still here. And it's, and it's dark in a very interesting, uh, interestingly unique way because as you, as you point out, there was, you know, there's this Emancipation Proclamation. That's what folks most often, at least up until now, point to, you know, as the moment where the federal government, you know, President Lincoln is saying uh, the slaves are free. But Juneteenth uh, commemorates the time when slaves in Galveston and Texas were made aware of this. Uh, and so even though uh, legally speaking, they were free, that information was withheld uh, from them. Right. And there's all kinds of associated stories, about attempts to make that known and folks getting murdered and it getting, right. uh, you know, um, the, the message getting derailed and stuff like that. Um, and it speaks, I think, too, to this idea of freedom as a, as a mentality and, uh, and related to access to information. Um, do you have any thoughts around, uh, around that and how it relates to what we think about today? Uh, well, I, there's a few things. So with that, right, when uh, we talk about people's minds, and there's only so much you can do to enforce a rule. So even if they knew it, there's nothing they could do to actually enforce the, the law being upheld, right? It took a general riding down and, and enforcing that law. So that's part of like this allyship that people talk about now, right? So we can do as much as we can as Black people to fight systems of oppression, but it does take everybody. And it takes people actually jumping in and saying, we know this isn't right. You know, it's not, we're not going to be able to do it alone. It's going to take the entire system. Also realizing that even the Emancipation Proclamation, and I think this is going to be relevant later on in the conversation, was more about economics than anything else. It wasn't about humanity. It wasn't about bringing enslaved people because it's the wrong thing to do. It's just that, uh, you know, the North was not going to be able to keep their economic power over the South if the South was able to maintain enslaved people because their labor was free. And that's really what Emancipation Proclamation was about. Um, and I think that that's a very relevant point to what we're talking about today, um, even in context of everything that's happening with the Buy Black movements that are kind of being pushed right now, um, and this idea of revitalizing Black communities. Thank you. And Sam, I wonder how you uh, describe the history of Juneteenth uh, to folks. And I'd also like to hear from you too on uh, what the local relevance is um, for, for folks that celebrate Juneteenth and what happens here in Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I think it's important to note that there hasn't been much change in the way of uh, black bodies being enslaved for America's profit, right? Um, so a lot of the times people are just like, well, slavery's over, um, you know, let's get past that and let's talk about how we move forward, when in actuality there are a lot of black bodies that are enslaved within the prison system. A lot of brands make their money off the free labor of prisoners who are predominantly black and brown, right? So I don't, Juneteenth is not 
history, it's actually, um, it, it, it's current, right? Like that, that is currently happening where people are fighting for the freedom of black and brown bodies to not be uh, the economic backbone of the, of the country. And the only reason that they are fighting back is because well, the only reason that the system is fighting back is because the system cannot function without slavery, right? It is designed to be economically uh, successful because of the labor of people that people within a, a certain system, and we're talking about the judicial system, you know, the prison system. Um, so whenever, uh, you know, Camille is mentioning uh, this kind of, uh, you know, nobody is fighting for the humanity of black people. Like, I, I want that to be clear, right? They are fighting for their economic power. They are fighting for, uh, they're fighting against, you know, uh, reform simply because they cannot make money off free people. They cannot make money by giving you uh, property. They cannot make money by giving, giving you anything because then they lose. Right. Then they lose what it is that they are. They they lose all their foundation. They lose their economic power. Um, and I think it's interesting to for people to recognize that um, historically um, the north. The north and the south were the, the same there were the same racists in the North and the South, right? People, it wasn't, it was not uh, about who cared more about Black people. It was who wants to profit more off of Black bodies. And you see that currently, even in, um, even in, uh, you know, pop culture, whenever, you know, uh, there are people who make it to a certain level, they utilize black culture to make their money first. And then they go back and say, hey, well, I don't really believe in this culture because this culture is like demeaning or something like that. Like uh, they make their money from black people and then they toss black people out whenever, it, whenever they are at uh, you know, a, a certain level where they don't need it anymore. So this is a, an interesting uh, discussion too, because there's this contrast of, uh, to your point, systems and structures of power, uh, and then in many cases, economic power, uh, and then back down to the community and individual level of agency. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind, because you two have been uh, some of the most active in this space, talking about Greenwood Week, um, and why the purpose uh, of it, uh, and the name and its significance. And then I'd like to talk about, um, you know, what the work has actually looked like. But can you tell us how it all came about? and what the significance of the name is. Oh, should I go first? Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, was the Greenwood District, and that's where the name uh, Greenwood Week comes from. It is one of the uh, most, quote unquote, um, popular instances of where America destroyed uh, the success of Black people. It is not the only one. It is not the largest one, but it is one of the most um, violent, right? Like it is one of the most violent instances of America seeing, uh, you know, Black people profit and be successful and decide that it was going to take the side of, you know, white Americans who did not like that. Um, and we named it that because uh, we kind of want to bring that back. Like, we're not going to give up on the idea that Black people can be successful in a space where only Black bodies are running, uh, running uh, businesses, where they are running the economic, where they decide what to pay, who to pay, when to pay, right? Like, we don't have that agency as Black people in America. Um, at, 
black people globally a lot of the times don't have that agency to decide when where who and what to pay like we don't have the access to a lot of uh, black businesses we don't have the access to black capital um so greenwood week is kind of the um the creation here in Pittsburgh of saying, you know, we want to do that. We, we are, we have the capacity to do that and we want to teach people how to do that. And it came about because, you know, we're kind of in the same position. Like we are entrepreneurs who are looking for black spaces. We are looking for black people. We are looking for black businesses. We are looking for black entrepreneurs and we are unable to find those type of people. Or if we do find those type of people, they don't have the capacity to handle any more work or they don't have the staff or they don't have the funding. Right? Right? So we kind of encapsulated this whole week where it's just like, we're going to teach you, right? If you are about to start, if you are maintaining, or if you are successful, like there is a part of Greenwood Week that is there for you as a black person in business, not necessarily just a black business owner, but if you want to do business, if you want to be uh, well-versed on economics, that, that's what the week is for. It is for you to understand what type of system you are running and whether or not you choose to run in that system is up to you. But we're here to give you the tools because there's no dedicated organization. There's no dedicated person in the city of Pittsburgh that says, hey, we are here to right the, the systemic wrong of black uh, people being left out of economics. There are a lot of organizations that, you know, they say we do economics, but you can't just say you do economics in a system that blatantly leaves out black people all the time because if you run by that system then it's automatically going to leave out black people you have to be intentional about saying i need to fix this systemic wrong and the wrong is to black people so if you don't say hey economically i'm here to support black people then you're just going to be a part of the system yeah sorry i just wanted to kind of add to that because in addition to creating these spaces for us, by us, part of what that means is we decide what the economic system looks like. like. Capitalism doesn't work for us. It works on the backs of us. So we can decide how we want to structure the economic system. We're not against economic growth. We're not against development. We are against gentrification. We're against exploitation. And we want to create systems that benefit Black people. Our historical context in this space is very relevant to the work we do. And it's very, um, it's a huge part of why we choose. And it's kind of uh, also a, a, an anomaly in Pittsburgh to see black faces in charge of teaching black people, right? Like all the time, whenever you go to different organizations and different programs, it's not culturally competent folks that are leading it. It's people who are economically versed, right? And it's not saying that those people are unable to um, teach. It's just saying that they cannot they don't necessarily have the wherewithal to explain it in a manner to somebody who has been downtrodden their entire lives, right? Like they have started from nothing, right? Like they, they don't have gifts of 50K. I, I, I think it's important to note that we use entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs who are currently working in those fields to teach you all it is that you need to know in a method in which you will understand because they have not the exact same background, but they are empathetic to your background. They are empathetic to your plight so that you can understand, uh, you can translate uh, from your experience and, and bring that 
to economics because a lot of the times black people are very much very much uh into economics, they just don't know the wording. They don't know uh, how to translate what it is that they do. There's a lot of marketing geniuses, you know, in Homewood that don't know that they're marketing geniuses simply because they did not have the understanding to say, hey, this is what quota means, right? Like they don't understand those terms that people are using to kind of confuse them. And, you know, we're here to give them that that kind of confidence with like, you already know this, like you already know what it is that you're trying to say, but we're gonna help you say that on paper so that when you go and you're trying to explain something to someone, they don't look at your resume and say, well, you spelled the word wrong. So you're obviously not uh, fit to be in this position. Yeah, it reminds me of when Nipsey Hussle was talking about black men knowing that they're geniuses, but not having any platforms left for them to explain it. And here's a chance where uh, not only uh, is it creating that platform, but there's that translation, right? There's the folks that can that can resonate, that can relate, uh, that can help walk through a process. So we've we've talked about the the intention behind it, uh, and we we're sharing out to uh, links for folks where they can uh, learn more. Uh, and it says on your website that it's a minority business uh, conference. Uh, just a quick point of clarification: uh, is it is it only uh, black focused or other uh, minority or um, marginalized groups as well? It's black focus. You can come if you like. <laughs> We're not going to turn you away. Black. <laughs> but you have to understand that when you come into this space, you cannot police what happens here. You do not dictate what happens here. It is and you do not censor it. yourself. It's not about you. It is about the most marginalized people, aside from Native folks, um, in this area. That's what it's about. So you can come. Come. Feel free but do not try to police or dictate what happens in this space. Yeah, come as you are, but know what it is, you know? Know what um, it is. Right. So um, it, you say it's a, it's a conference, and I know you've had like a week where, um, where there's a whole bunch of activity, uh, but can you just like break down for folks what the, what the experience is, is like? Because uh, I attended one of your sessions at Arnold's Tea in the North Side, and it was related uh, to mental health. Uh, you had Julius Boatwright from Still Smiling coming and working with the entrepreneurs that you all were working with, uh, talking about that and the importance of mental health with entrepreneurialism and the black experience, et cetera. So break down for folks what the experience looks like if people are getting involved. Um, so let's just say this. I, when we put together Greenwood Week, you know, it was, our, it was both of our first time putting together anything of the magnitude. So there was some uncertainty. We weren't sure how it was going to turn out, how people would receive it. For myself, Greenwood Week blew my mind mm. in more of a qualitative way. Like the way people received the intention that went into Greenwood Week, um, it kind of changed what I wanted to do and how much I wanted to do it. Like this was it for me. Like if I could make people feel seen and understood and empowered, like that's enough to sustain me for the rest of my life. Pay me though. I'm, I'm not saying don't pay me. I'm just saying that feeling of helping someone be seen who felt like they hadn't been seen before people talked about how they had been to other conferences, they had been to business development centers, they had talked to people about the same information, but never received it in the same way as they did with Greenwood Week. Hmm. Um, Sam, if you have anything to add, you know. 
Um, so I, I think I'm also on that front. Um, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, like of the, the, the quality that people were saying that they were getting that was like normal for us, right? Like me and Camille, you know, we were just like, where would I want to go? What would I want to hear, right? And we just rebuilt that experience and we didn't recognize that a lot of people just didn't have that experience. Like from having a couch where families were sitting, like a woman right. sat with her two children to learn, right? People were asking specific questions and getting specific answers. Like we were giving out people's emails to organizations they were like are you allowed to do this i'm just like people don't give y'all like you should be able to pay money and go to a conference and get your questions answered like somebody shouldn't leave there and give you like motivational words like never give up like i don't need we don't need that as black people we need the pathways like you need to like give specific information as to how to go about these things like i, I understand like there's a whole bunch of like motivational things like i could go on instagram and be motivated right that's not why i came to a conference i came to a conference simply because i don't know how to do what it is that i'm trying to do and if i ask you a specific question i need a specific answer or else i'm just going to be like okay well don't give up you know like i don't want right. to leave a, a, a conference with just never give up in the back of my head, right? Like I need contacts. I need, you know, where do I go to apply for a grant? Where do I go to uh, get some insurance or insurance questions answered? You know what I'm saying? I think uh, uh, the, the conference itself was just so relatable to everybody else. And I didn't, I didn't, I think me and Camille didn't realize how much, like how, relatable our experience was because we are having the same problems like when we go to the conference we also learn these things right like we're in the classes because like these people you know yeah these professionals are like giving us you know information that we needed too right so we're curating an experience that we want to have like we're not here to make money of course pay us but we're not here for the specific like okay well we need to make money that like that's not our goal we're not here to make money off the backs of black people because black people are tired of that right like we get the money to funnel into the black communities so that we can be successful around other successful people because it doesn't work if me and camille come out of this and we're like we did it but what about everybody else who attended the conference right like if you didn't come out with a whole bunch of contracts if you didn't come out with contacts contracts money like then the conference wasn't successful it wasn't economically successful if it was only economically successful for sila and coco Pernor. agreed sure so you all are getting down i mean to the micro level it's about like the basics of setting up you know whether it's your tax id business plan resume all the way up to like ways to get funding uh and those conversations too um and i mean to your point it like really rang out i mean it, it's been something that a lot of people have been paying attention to and have like anecdotally have said they've gotten a lot out of um can you speak to uh, just even that one session with julius and the mental health piece um how would you approach bringing like themes into the conversation been to plenty of conferences or, or conventions or seminars where it's about entrepreneurialism or, or economics wherever the case may be but it's not always uh folded in with these other topics uh, like mental health so can you talk about how you added extra value uh to uh to the experience for folks that were going to be participating yeah i mean we just catered it to the audience right and a lot of this we were able to pull from our own experiences yeah um i think that when you are when you become an entrepreneur and you start to kind of fish for ways to do business properly take the proper channels make sure everything is set up you keep hitting roadblocks because you don't know what you don't know 
Um, so for us, it was a matter of putting the things that we had learned in our journey um, in front of folks saying, okay, these are things to consider. Have you looked into business insurance? Yes, you're a consultant, but what does that mean? Are you liable for certain things, right? Let's think about this. Even with mental health, this is something that, I mean, everybody should invest in their mental health, but for black people in particular, um, I think that we have a special place um, in the mental health field where we need us. And if you're going into entrepreneurship, you probably have to be a little crazy. And, um, and I, I say that word jovially, but I think it takes a lot of balance. Being black, maybe being a woman, maybe being a veteran, maybe being a parent, and being uh, an entrepreneur all at one time, it's extremely difficult to balance your life that mental health part is going to be important. So just thinking about the things that we experience, we were able to kind of put that into things. Like, again, just being able to relate to people on a human level was enough for us to be able to answer people's needs. And I think that kind of dictated exactly what we did and what we provided for folks. And I think it's also important to note that, you know, historically, Black people have always been entrepreneurs out of necessity, mm -hmm. right? Like always, like there's always somebody who has to cook food, repair shoes, be a mechanic, like a self-taught mechanic, because we have been excluded from places of learning and places of business all the time, right? So for us to... Uh, be like in this space and not know what we're doing, we're doing a damn good job of like providing for entire families, right? But if I, I think about it in, in terms of like um, generational wealth, right? Like if your mother had, or grandmother, right? Like she was cooking for the entire neighborhood. If she had just known about capacity building, where would you be right now? Where would you be uh, starting off your life uh, not, you know, uh, behind the curve with economics, right? Like you would have understood several pieces of business and you would have started your children off way better than what you currently have you know what i'm saying so it's just entrepreneurship is important but knowing how to go about you know doing your business is is more important not just for you to be successful but the rest of your family and the rest of your line to be successful as well and your community right so like when you build strong businesses within your community this helps your community grow in a way that is it's not just idealistic it's very practical Right. So when we even when we talk about economics and you have businesses who pay taxes, you have families who have enough money to pay taxes to the city. The city now has money for funding schools. This thing is way bigger than just I want to start a business for myself to be prosperous. Like it is a matter of us helping ourselves, even though we shouldn't have to bootstrap. But, you know, I think it's, it's people need to understand how all of this plays into black growth and expansion in general, just like our, our growth as a people and in relation to where we have been in this country, like what has been done to us over time. I mean, if, even if you think about the timeline of what has happened to black people in this country, we were enslaved for like 250 years. We went through um, Jim Crow and then we went through segregation and the civil rights movement 
and we've only been free on paper for about 60 years, but we still have the prison industrial complex, right? So now you have people with 400 years of um, a delay in their growth. You're like, how do you jumpstart that? Aside from just leaving them alone and letting them grow and not sabotaging them. You know, yeah. So. And yet the conversation when you when like for the purposes of Greenwood Week comes down to like the individual level of what folks can do to put themselves in a position. Let me just ask one more question about that. And then I'd like to get into your own individual entrepreneurialism stories. Um, there's a, everyone, a lot of people like talking about the gig economy um, and like side hustle that folks have. And we know that a lot of our peers um, and just people in general in the city, but a lot of our peers do and have had side hustles. They're doing little things on the side for the web, web piece here, maybe some social media, maybe some whatever, you know, what have you. Are you all seeing that uh, folks are doing that more? And are you, and then also are you seeing that uh, folks that maybe have had that kind of going for a while are moving towards like the LLC phase and like to the business plan, putting together uh, mm -hmm. like capital and teams phase? Like what's, what's the, what is the space looking like in terms of what level folks are, are at on their entrepreneurial journey? Sam, I don't know if you can speak to this more with, you know. So I think people are losing that fear of jumping, right? So I think, you know, our, our social uh, and governmental capacities have kind of instilled a fear into people about living um, outside of the nine to five or outside of the support from the government, right? Like there's a lot of people who have that fear, like how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to do all these things without the support of you know, a, a system? And entrepreneurship kind of exists outside of that. And you know, so this, this might be controversial, but like I don't believe in telling people who sell drugs to not sell drugs because that is how they feed their family. Unless you have a solution for them to tangibly survive outside of that side hustle, you should not, you, you, sh you shouldn't be trying to, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I support people who do that, you know, like, but it's, you, you can't give people advice on how to live without providing them an opportunity to live outside of that side hustle that they do, right? And so- I just wanna support what you said with just a point that poverty is the reason for a lot of these things and when you put people in positions of poverty they have to they have to figure out a way and it's human instinct to survive like it's human instinct to do whatever it takes to survive right and so and i think that's the important part of Greenwood. we don't vilify people who are in those positions we provide them opportunities to say hey if you don't want to do this if you don't want to do what you're currently doing there is another way right like i'm never going to take food out of your mouth money out of your pocket because i understand what it's like to have three children and not not have food right like I grew up in Jamaica, right? I, like, I know what hunger feels like. I know what it takes to, to be like, okay, I'm never going to let my children uh, starve. I'm going to do what it takes. Like, that's the type of country that I'm from, right? So whenever you see uh, people who are doing what it takes to, um, to feed their families, you should, you should automatically think, how can I translate for this person to do this on a corporate level? Because what, it, what they're doing is learning the basics that people are be, being uh, taught with degrees, right? Sales, like, yeah. sales, marketing. Sales, marketing, like all of, those <laughs> all of that stuff. 
all of that, like managing employees, like all of that is, <laughs> all of that is being learned on the streets. And I am just here to tell you that you can translate that, right? Because that is, that's what corporate America is doing. And they're paying somebody to do what it is that you're doing, buku amounts of money. And you can be able to access that. Right, right. It's about, um, it's about the space that you can deploy those skill sets in. You know what I mean? Um, like on a certain level, you know, I like playing basketball. And when it comes to like the, the, the okay. basic fundamental activities, I do the same thing as, as any one of these NBA players. They're shooting, <laughs> passing. When, when I do it, I don't do it in a sphere where there's uh, financial compensation. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, but if you're at a certain level, you know, there are, there are places that, you know, people will pay you to do that. Um, and so it's about how do you leverage your skill set? How are you in an environment where that skill set can be fostered and encouraged? Uh, and then what are levels of support so that you're, you know, activated to do that? I'd love to hear, and let me just put a final point on, on that. Um, what you do is, what you both do at the Greenwood Week is, is, is tremendous work. I put the link in, uh, in the chat. I encourage people to check it out. Um, you know, just in terms of my own personal story, I started doing like web design and like social media stuff a while ago, coming up in the nonprofit space, doing like meals and wheels and stuff where there wasn't a lot of money available, like uh, via, via the organization, via the salary. And I found that there was like a need for nonprofits that wanted to have a presence on online, but didn't know exactly how. And there were things like WordPress and stuff. So I, it was conversations with people that were a little bit further along that told me about how to get my tax ID number, uh, what the difference between a sole, a, a sole proprietor and LLC was, uh, how to set up like my own hosting setups that I could have websites hosted and have it all myself that like really illuminated for me. And then I was able to then like Google and learn and watch YouTube videos to learn how to do X, Y, uh, and Z. So I really encourage people to check out the Greenwood Week work uh, and to the extent that they can, uh, especially if they're interested in this kind of work, engage with Camille and Sam, uh, because they're literally, I've seen it, like they walk, walking through ind with individuals and families. I've seen kids like sitting on like the couch, like she was saying, in there just talking about these fundamentals. It's extremely valuable and it really helps demystify. And that translation, piece is so, so important um, just to be able to kind of translate that personal experience. Um, so I wondered if you, if you both wouldn't mind, Sam, I'll start with you if it's all right. Um, your own entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey um, and how did Sila uh, come about? And that's how you say it, right? Sila Pittsburgh? Sila PGH, yes. PGH. Um, so oh, I don't even know where to start. There's a, the journey is still, I don't even know what phase I'm in, but like, uh, you know, I'm far from um, successful. Um, but I, so I was in the military, obviously. Um, I don't know why I said, obviously that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but, uh, so I was in the military, um, and I came back from Alaska, you know, having served and I, uh, tried to go to school, um, you know, to, for hospitality because I thought I was like friendly and, you know, I wanted to do that. Um, but I realized it wasn't for me. Um, so I realized that, you know, I, I had to go through a lot of microaggressions. I had to like tame who I was simply to work in that space. You know, like I couldn't, there was one time I wore an Afro to work and somebody was like, oh, that's too Afro, you know, like for here. And I was just like, I don't even know what that means. Um, but I was just like, there has to be like a space where I can simultaneously be successful and be myself because I see I see other people who are doing that right like I see other people who are uh, who are entertaining and things like that but like I didn't want to entertain so I was just like how do I go about this and you know like when I came back to Pittsburgh from uh, serving and going to school 
I uh, was looking around a lot. You know, I was talking about the things that were interesting to me, which was more so socioeconomics, right? Like it was the uh, the success of Black folks on a level of not solely economic. Um, so I went to Startup Weekend um, and I pitched the idea of having um, uh, events for artists to be able to make money. And, you know, it, uh, it took second place. And, you know, I was developing like all of this and I started reading. Uh, that that's basically what it was. I started reading so much that I started to become, I, I started to uh, kind of put real life experiences into things and be able to like translate for other people because I call myself sophisticated all the time because like that's, that's who I am. Like I, I just, I, I, I'm from like the type of country where we like to cook out. Like we like to, we like to drink. We like to go to a hood bar. Like we, we do those things. Right. But it wasn't, I wasn't the uh, face of black success and I didn't like that, right? Like I didn't like the fact that I had to change who I was to be successful. And so I started, you know, telling people like I started translating, basically, I started translating business and economics in a method in which I could understand, right? Like I remember uh, I posted a status about people who, again, people who sell drugs being able to work in corporate America. And it was so, it was so um, radical, quote unquote. Um, but it, I, I started to realize that there were people out there that were just like me who wanted to be successful, but were not seen as success stories simply because they didn't wear suits. They didn't uh, talk a certain way or they, they did dress a certain way. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to those people. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be that person that people look at and be like, oh, I can actually do that. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want to change who I was. I wanted to keep both. I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. And I just tried to figure out a way to do that. And that's, that's basically how, um, you know, I started getting contracts and things like that because uh, I was, I was doing me while also being, you know, a, a, a source of uh, opportunity for other black folks. And you take a special focus in that work on, on artists. Is that correct? What's the, how would you, how would you describe like the scene that's here in Pittsburgh, um, you know, with the artist community and the artist business community too? Um, so I, I found that the, the gap um, between opportunity and access like there, there's just a large gap between uh, the the marketing of Pittsburgh organizations, right? They uh, assume that simply because you create a grant for Black people, that Black people are going to be able to get that, right? They don't they don't take into account all the all the missteps that go into trying to find the opportunity when the predominant amount of uh, minority communities are living below poverty lines or they don't have Wi-Fi access or the majority of households don't have computers to be able to access that online grant, right? Um, so I, um, I, I kind of see artists as being those, uh, those ones kind of like me who are just like, I, I can't do paperwork. Like I don't understand paperwork or I don't understand how to go about writing a grant, even though I have the, the process in my head of how I would utilize this money. I don't know how to put a budget together. I don't know how to make my resume look like I am worthy of this grant. So kind of being the, the, the medium between these organizations that are, um, that require, you know, this level of, 
uh, English, uh, English language understanding to be able to communicate things. And people who are just like, I don't know how to say what it is that I'm trying to say. Like I, I completely uh, accept and appreciate being, you know, the medium between these organizations and these, these people and uh, the artists that are trying to, they're, they're trying to meet each other, but they're not communicating on the same, on the same wavelengths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's let's shine some light. Uh, what are who are some some artists that you've worked with that you think um, that you would encourage folks to check out and, and see not just like their their amazing work and what they do, but ones that have that have um, that are from an entrepreneurial uh, perspective doing things that would be interesting for folks to check out. Uh, everybody black. Uh, sorry, no. Okay, so um, thanks for taking the time, everybody. We'll see. <laughs> So I love Natik Jalil. Um, I love everybody at the gallery on Penn. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but we do the Fitty Art Show over there where, um, you know, all the artwork is like $50 and under. Q Perry, um, you know, we're opening a new art space in the Hill District that is Live Workspace. Um, it's subsidized, supported by the Heinz Endowments. Um, so if anybody's like interested in living in the Hill and doing art in the Hill, um, I'm always down for that. Um, Natik, Q, I was gonna say buy my book, but I'm not gonna plug myself. But you know, oh, I'm also creative. Oh, please do, please do. So, uh, well, so I wrote a children's book for my son. Um, so it's on Amazon. With with illustrations. With illustrations. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, I, 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 um, I'm kind of biased. I love black people. It created black people who are creating black creatives, black cultural workers. Like if there's somebody black creating something, I, I automatically love it. And all they got to do is like ask and say, Hey, uh, how can I, I'm like ready. Let's go. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really great work. Yeah. And, and if you go on the website, I, I shared two links uh, to, to Sila PGH. Um, you can see all the artists there. Uh, and check it out. But I mean, even even I have seen online, there's been, uh, especially in the past like couple years, far more uh, folks that I knew as artists, black artists or community artists, that where I'm starting to see like Etsy links, I'm starting to see uh, like Wix websites or WordPress websites. Uh, and they're starting to put together like a portfolio, like different ways that folks can access them, see their work, uh, appreciate it, pay for it, uh, get some of it for themselves and just generally support. Um, so there's a lot of really great things to look at. And for folks that want to know how to, how they might want to approach it, some cool blueprints on how others have, have tried it. Maybe Etsy's not right for you. Maybe it's an e-commerce site um, and you just need a, a, a different kind of e-commerce site. And, uh, but you can figure all of that out. Uh, Camille, I'd like to talk about Cocopreneur. Um, would you mind sharing about your entrepreneurial journey and how you came to that idea? Sure. First, let's say, uh, Happy Boom Concepts Day. If we're talking about artists and creatives, they have a, an amazing gallery on Penn Avenue and Garfield. So if you want to check out art, always look to Boom because they generally lift artists up. That's two Penn, um, Penn uh, Avenue references that are dope for folks. Uh, the, the gallery on Penn, and shout out to Jasmine and to Tammy and all the rest mm -hmm. uh, the folks there. But then Boom and Garfield as well. Um, uh, super great. In fact, I'll put those in the links while you're talking about Coco. Oh, and Ujima Collective. And Ujima Collective. Been Love doing work for 20-something years dealing with Black creatives across the diaspora, like not just yeah. America, but across the Atlantic. It, amazing stuff. Uh, Pittsburgh has really rich history. Y'all have to dig into this stuff. It's and we're going we're gonna to do some more digging. Maybe we'll do another talk about that and just spend some time on right. that. But anyways, sorry to interrupt. 
Yeah, no. So Cocopreneur started, um, the idea originally started with what was called the Black Dollars Matter campaign, where uh, we stamped money, not in a defacing way, but stamped it. Um, and if you stamp this money, this represented money that you have dedicated to spend within the Black community. Right. So it was this way to get people to visualize keeping the dollar in the black community. Uh, what happened with that is while we had this campaign going, we didn't really have anywhere like we had to show people where to go and give them reference for where to go. So then, uh, you know, try to look up some directories around the city. The Pittsburgh Black Business Directory that had been active for like 30 years, started by Miss Connie Portis. Um, was retired for about five years by 2015. So once that, uh, once I realized that, I decided to kind of bring back this directory. So I did a bunch of work in uh, social media, sharing businesses. I started to compile uh, just an Excel spreadsheet of listings. And once it hit a certain point, decided to put that onto a website where people could freely access the information. So the Cocopreneur directory went live February 2nd of 2019. Um, that's my mother's birthday. Mm. Um, and then this year it's in a beta version. So some new features have been added. There was recently um, an article written about how black businesses do not get the benefit of Yelp reviews and they don't benefit from having people come to their place rate them on Yelp and then have more traffic driven there. So one of the things that was added was, was a rating and review system on the Cocopreneur directory. Hmm. So now ratings and reviews are available on the site as well as operating hours for businesses. Um, the work with Cocopreneur has also advanced through collaborations like Sam and myself with Greenwood Week. So doing more advocacy work, making sure that businesses have what they need and have access to information and resources in order to su survive and thrive. Um, mm -hmm. what, what else is there? I don't know. The directory is kind of like the cornerstone, but really getting into this work of rebuilding black communities, even if that means getting your hands completely dirty and doing it, right? So mm -hmm. I created the, the directory, but what if people need help sustaining themselves? Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? I guess something else did happen. Yeah. So this year after uh, the protests for George Floyd's murder, um, you know, there were some agitators into the Pittsburgh protests, vandalized a bunch of downtown businesses, two of which were black owned businesses. So once I saw that, I immediately decided to start a fundraiser to help them basically become whole, anything that maybe insurance didn't cover. Um, so I started this Pittsburgh Black Business Relief Fund, uh, which is still active and live now. But the point of that was to help them with any damages and repairs to their storefronts, cover inventory, and then start creating these decals that people could put in their windows to say, I'm a Cocopreneur, find me and rate me on Cocopreneur.com, right? Uh, because of the amount of money that the fundraiser um, has raised, I've actually decided to transition that fund in addition to helping those businesses into like a mini grant program. So with COVID-19 happening and all these business interruptions, um, people are probably going to have a hard time staying afloat. The moratorium on rent is now lifted. So businesses who have leases on storefronts, that rent's gonna be due. Uh, people may have had inventory go bad because they weren't able to open. They're gonna need new inventory. So now what the fund is going to do 
is help people um, just stay afloat until whatever monies can come through. PPP was very difficult for a lot of black businesses to tap into. So I felt like it was necessary to create something that we could access more easily. And um, somebody who actually knows these businesses could say right away, okay, we can get you some funds so that you can pay your rent this month, or you can buy, you know, food to cover this week's, um, you know, menus or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, Cocopreneur just keeps growing just based on the needs of the community. Like I'm literally here to serve the community and all of their business needs. And it's a great example of where um, working on developing one tool leads to other engagement opportunities. On, on its face, Cocopreneur is a directory of black businesses, but now it's an engagement tool uh, as well. And it allows you to speak about this um, in conversation. I've seen you, I remember being at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater watching you uh, talk about Cocopreneur uh, in all kinds of different conversations. Um, can we just keep it there for a quick second? You mentioned you how you start with an Excel spreadsheet, which I just want to emphasize, you know, for folks. I think sometimes there's, um, I had a professor in college used to call it complexifying. And I think about this entrepreneurialism a lot. Uh, sometimes the, the burden of all the ways you could go about it uh, can inhibit you from just getting started. And yet you started what's become a sophisticated product and tool with just like entries on a spreadsheet. Uh, and then you move it into more of a living uh, a directory that folks can access uh, via the internet, um, how did you go about figuring out like what platform to put it on and uh, how did you make those decisions? It took a while. Um, and and I, this is more of a like a personality trait. So for me, it's a little more like any, I'm a busybody. And when I see something, I just start fidgeting and like looking things up and trying to figure out ways to make it work. So for me, I have to start. Like if I, if I have an idea, I have to just jump in and start doing things and then I'll figure it out as I go. That's not going to be the case for everybody. So it's, it's hard for me to say, you know, we'll just jump in and start. For me, that's an easy thing to do. As far as figuring out how everything else worked, it took a while. So I, I've started, um, I started a fundraiser in 2018 originally for Cocopreneur. So I raised about $3,000 to get the directory started. And I was like, oh, great. Now I can pay for a developer and then I can have them help me do yada, yada, yada. Right. And I kept hitting these brick walls. Like I kept looking up, you know, how to start a directory, what platforms for a directory. And it took until August. So I started, that maybe happened in April. Around August, I had a conversation with my dad and he reached out to one of his friends and uh, the person said something, well, that's, they said what she's looking for is a web application. Hmm. And the moment that I looked up web applications, I found exactly what I needed, right? So it was a matter of, you know, not knowing what you don't know. Yeah. And once I knew what to search for, I kind of just hit the ground running. So once I found what I needed, um, you know, I paid for domain space. I hooked up with a developer who could actually, um, who knew exactly what to do. They knew coding. Um, we basically, I worked my nine to five during the day. I came home to my family and had family time in the evening. And then at nine 30, we got to work on the directory. So that took a couple of months. Um, things really started to come to fruition about December. We actually had a website and it looked like something. And then it was just tweaking between December and February before we launched. Um, but it, it took a while, like it took a lot of digging. And I think that's something that people looking into entrepreneurship and problem solving have to get used to. The answers aren't always going to come right away. It's sometimes going to take time. You might have to sleep on things. 
can't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, you can't be afraid to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, oh, what are you do I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. Like, that's really what it comes down to. That's, I don't know what I'm doing. I, don't know. <laughs> I do not know what I'm doing. I'll figure it out. But right now, I can't tell you. I don't know. And I think that um, being honest with yourself about those things is helpful. Like, you're, you're not, it allows you to at least make room to dig a little deeper or ask for help. When you, when you can acknowledge, okay, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. I need help. It allows you the room to actually reach out for help. And it's not what you, like you, you, you can face barriers uh, and certainly frustration uh, on not knowing, um, but it won't ultimately prohibit you if you can find a way to ask the right questions. Uh, mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't entertain uh, what those questions might be. And sometimes you don't find them until you acknowledge that I just, I don't know where I'm headed. And that's where you can engage with counsel or someone that can say, hey, well, what about this? What about that? In your case, a conversation with your dad, they mentioned this, this term sticks out, you look it up and boom, it's right there. Uh, and I find myself, I'm curious what you all think about this. Um, when folks want to get started with these things, I find myself encouraging them right away that there are tools out there that can help you. Uh, now, they not, might not all be applicable to you, just like a toolbox. It might not always be that one that works for you. But there are tools, and whether that's WordPress, the, the things you can do on just like Facebook pages nowadays, a lot of folks can get started on what they want to do simply with a couple social media platforms. Uh, there are assets there for you. It's just about what works for you. And these things aren't set in stone. You could, you could start with a, with a Wix website and then have a Squarespace website and then have a WordPress, WordPress website uh, and do all of that yourself or with, you know, uh, with, some, with some help. And your idea can just continue, you know, to evolve. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's, it can be encouraging for folks because, you know, how do I start when I got to learn how to code and all this stuff? It's like, no, really, I mean, if some of these tools, like if you're familiar with how to work just social media uh, or like a word processor, uh, you, can, you can work some of these platforms and, uh, and get things started. So you mentioned uh, that you were doing fundraising post-COVID uh, and especially in relation to black businesses getting destroyed in some of the recent uh, unrest. Um, and that's a partnership with Inventrify, is that correct? So Inventrify is black founded um, by a man named Brandon Brooks. He is from the Pittsburgh region. His platform is basically like, I hate to use a competitor, but it's like GoFundMe, but specifically for businesses. So when you fundraise on Inventrify, people know that it is for you to grow your business. You know, GoFundMe is like a, a, any type of ask that people might have but Inventrify is specifically for people who want to raise startup capital for their businesses or some type of money for their businesses to go on. And it's, it's basically in gift form, community raised. Um, and I, I do wanna make this really good point too, that I, the money that I raised before the Inventrify campaign for the Black Business Relief Fund was all raised from the community. Like the directory kind of belongs to the community. It's almost like a co-op. Like the people have put their money into fundraisers to make it happen. And that's why the directory exists, which is, is, is so hard to kind of, it's not even hard to come to terms with. It's just funny that the community is still bootstrapping when this tool is so useful to the entire region. So I think that's interesting. Uh, but I, I want to, I'm a solopreneur, but so many people feed into Cocopreneur and its success. Yeah. Um, okay, wonderful. Well, we're almost up uh, on an hour here. Let's uh, bring the conversation uh, to a close here. Um, as we close, um, I'm just, uh, well, first let's start with just some fundamentals. Uh, Sam, we'll start with where can folks find information? We put a lot of the links in uh, the chat already. 
Um, where would you encourage folks to find about, about the work that you're doing or anything else you'd like to highlight uh, and mention uh, for people that might want to learn more? Um, so I'm not really great at social media. Um, so, well, my business social media. <laughs> so, I mean, my personal pages are more informational than my business pages simply because, you know, like I'm one of those people where, you know, you literally just send me a message and tell me what you need and then I'll work on it. Right. Like for the past uh, weeks, you know, I've been helping people, you know, apply for grants. Uh, the foundations have been asking where, you know, who needs money? Where can we put our money? So like I've been doing, you know, a lot of grant applications and things like that. A lot of strongly worded emails trying to get people money. Um, so mainly, you know, just email me or message me. Um, I'm able to help you with uh, certain things. I may not have the capacity to work on it, but I will find you somebody who would be able to help you. Um, so just send me an email, uh, you know, use my uh, personal Instagram or my personal Facebook uh, to get in contact with me. Uh, that's, the, that's the main way to find out, you know, what it is that I'm doing, who needs help. Um, uh, yeah, that's email. Perfect. Thank you, Sam. And Camille? Uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is just Cocopreneur PGH. So C-O-C-O-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R PGH. Um, if you want to contact me directly, feel free to email me at Camille, K-H-A-M-I-L at Cocopreneur.com. Uh, Camille, I meant to ask you about... Um about the recent partnership with the URA, because uh, I saw that it got announced that you all were getting uh, some investment there. Could you could tell us very quickly about how that all came about and what that'll be used for? Oh yeah, so uh, the URA in conjunction with Citizens, um, they basically, they, yeah, they, they donated $15,000 to the Black Business Relief Fund simply because that's work that they do generally and they figured rightfully so, that you should look into partnering with grassroots organizations who already do the work that you have in your initiatives. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of as simple as that. So, you know, I think that's a step in the right direction. And the more of that that they do, I think the more effective they will kind of be going forward. Thank you. And I'm putting in the chat uh, information about that and also the work that the URA does related to minority and women-owned business enterprise, um, because there's been uh, more and more funding put in that uh, direction and and might be just some additional resources for folks. Uh, there is also a very robust local philanthropic uh, or uh, community here, uh, and then also these these fundraising tools that have been that have been pointed out. Um, okay, let's let's bring it to uh, to an actual close. Just final encouragements from you two uh, to folks that may be watching that are on their um, you know entrepreneurialism on their um, you know business on their just community journey. You know what what on Juneteenth in 2020 would you say to them uh, to close us out? Uh, I'm, I'm going to speak from just a, like a human level. Please continue to lift each other up. Uh, I think this is also a good uh, indication or a good representation of what should happen, even though you're an organization that deals in work for men and boys, showcasing two Black women is important, right? Uh, I think that we can continue to empower each other to be great and encourage each other to tap into you know, those things that, you know, make us gifted, like we're all gifted in something. So I think it's just a matter of tapping into what our gifts are, cultivating them and encouraging each other through that. Thank you so much, Sam. 
support black businesses. Um, your dollar is very, very, very important. And you uh, purchasing from somebody like Natural Beauty Supply um, so that she can be able to, you know, afford uh, a house in the neighborhood where the property taxes, like Camille said, you know, the property taxes will go to the education system that completely benefits your children. Um, support local black businesses, support black businesses, but support local black businesses because I guarantee you there's a black business that is able to uh, uh, meet your standards if that's what you're looking for. Uh, find a product that you already use, replace it with a black business um, and give black businesses room because, you know, a lot of black businesses don't have the tools or the education to uh, know how to maneuver within business. So give them room to fail sometimes. Um, and that's pretty much it. Well, thank you both so much uh, for your time. And uh, we will look to continue to bring conversations like this uh, to the channel and, and, you know, to walk the walk ourselves, use the platforms at our disposal to have better conversations uh, about life and about ways to move forward. Uh, I really just encourage you, anyone that might be watching to check out uh, Camille and Sam online and learn more about the work that they do. Um, I think they're really inspirational stories, uh, but the way that they approach it, you're going to find they're pointing constantly to other people, what they're up to, how you can help success stories, uh, and just general good vibes. So uh, thank you again you both, to both of you uh, for your time. Uh, for all of you that may be watching, please take the best care of yourselves, uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye.